If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew chapter number 25. As a kid, my parents, as I was old enough, my parents decided to take a little trip and they left my sister and I home alone. We were old enough, we were teenagers, we could do our thing. And they left a list of responsibilities for us to fulfill while they were gone. And one of those responsibilities that was given to me was watering my mom's plants. Now, if you're a plant lover, you will understand this. My mom was a plant lover. In our back patio, we had beautiful, I don't know, bougainvillea maybe. It was hanging down, beautiful red flowers. My dad had created these planter boxes. He was very skillful with his hands. And they had pots of roses and everything around our back patio. It looked beautiful. So my mom and dad were very specifically, specifically my mom, water those plants, Lance, every day. I grew up in Kansas City in the summers. It's 100 degrees, very hot, and not a lot of rain. Very specific, Lance, water those plants every day. Well, I'm 16, 17 years old. I know how to water plants, right? So I chose not to water them every day. I was not looking forward to my mom and dad's return as I saw those plants beginning to wilt and I began pouring on water as fast as I could, hoping that they would flourish. I was not excited to see them come home. And sure enough, they came home and I heard it from my father. You know, Lance, your mother loves these plants. We gave you one responsibility. You should have done this. And I'd failed in my responsibility. The parable of the talents is much like that. Parable of the Talents in Matthew chapter 25 is sandwiched between several other parables, all dealing with the return of Christ, that Christ is coming again. Uh, just last week I preached in our home church uh, from Second Peter. In Second Peter, he specifically says, I didn't proclaim to you some cleverly devised fable when it comes to the returning of Christ. This wasn't just something I made up. But we actually saw Christ. We actually saw Him as He's going to return in the Mount of Transfiguration. We have this glorious hope that our Lord will return. That is fantastic. It's exciting. And every day, it seems like I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to spend our time in Matthew chapter 25, looking at the parable of the talents, focusing on the fact that Christ will one day return. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and your grace. Lord, what a great song we just sang. Why my king would die for me. Amazing love. How can it be? God, may our love for you, our King, and what you've accomplished for us and who you are so permeate our lives that our lives would be a reflection of that. And our lives would be used to glorify you and to live for you. Please, dear God. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 25, we'll begin reading in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 14. It says, For it, the kingdom of heaven is what is in mind here. He's speaking of the kingdom of heaven in the parables. For it, the kingdom of heaven, or Christ's return, picking up from verse 1 of chapter 25, it is just like a man about to go on a journey. Now this journey must have been an extensive journey that the, that the uh, master was going to go on because he takes his slaves and he sets them apart and he begins to give them things. And he continues on here. So it says, For it was like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. 
He calls his own slaves. Specifically, we're going to find out that there were three slaves that he calls to them. They were all legally associated with his master, although we're going to find that one of them necessarily didn't have a heart towards his master. But they all belonged to him. They were his slaves, and he entrusted them as possessions. This was not a strange thing back in this day, to entrust all of your worldly possessions to your slaves. Think about, for a moment, Joseph and Potiphar. Joseph was responsible for all of Potiphar's household. That was an amazing responsibility. Go back even farther to Abraham. Abraham, before Ishmael or Isaac were born, he prayed and said, God, should I give all of my possessions to Eleazar? Eleazar was his head servant. Abraham, not necessarily believing that God was actually going to fulfill his promise, said, maybe I should begin setting up arrangements that Eleazar will get all that I possess. His slave, his servant. So this was not a strange idea at that time. So we get the picture. There's a master. He's going away on a, to a long journey. He brings his slaves to him. They all belong to him. And he's entrusting them with his possessions. Verse number 15. And to one of these, ta- one of these servants, he gave five talents. And to another two. And to another one. I remember growing up thinking the parable of the talents was about gifts and abilities. Like your talent. Like he's a talented guy. She's a talented young woman. That's not what's in reference here too. Although I think there is application to that as we'll see later on. The idea is talent was a weight measurement. And there were different kinds of talents. You would have one type of talent that would weigh gold. That weighed a specific amount. You'd have another kind of talent that would be used for measuring silver. Another kind of talent that was used for measuring copper. So kind of think about you've got this box of talents over here. Different weight measurements used for gold. Another box, these are used for silver. Another box used for copper. Maybe there were other boxes used for other things. Maybe weight or or for grain or, or wheat or those kinds of things. I'm not sure. Evidently, though, this was a measure of silver. And I say that because we're going to see later on that they hid their master's money. And money was generally in silver. So a talent of silver was worth a lot of money. For a common laborer, now Grant, this is like somebody working at McDonald's. This is a common laborer. One talent of silver was worth 20 years of labor. One talent. So even if you're simply working at McDonald's for a living and that's all you're doing, that's still... A significant amount of money. 20 years of labor. So to one of these servants, he gives five talents, which would be equivalent of how many years of labor? That's a lot of money. If you're just making 20000 a year working at McDonald's, but multiply that times 100, that's a lot of money. So this was a wealthy master who gave to one of his servants five talents. To the next one he gave Two talents, which would have been 40 years of labor. And to the last one, he gave one talent. Look at the very next phrase. It says, each according to his own ability. Each according to his own ability. The master evidently looked at these three servants and, and, and made a determination. He said, you know, this guy, he, he is really sharp. He is really sharp. He's extremely responsible. I've got to entrust this money to someone. I I wonder who would best use it for my kingdom. He says, that guy there, that that servant is sharp. I'm going to give him the most. I'm going to give him five. And he evaluates all of his servants this way. This is what it says. Each according to his own ability. He gives them the money that he knew they could handle. So we can find four things immediately about these servants. Number one, they were each associated with or belonged to the same master. They were each given different amounts. 
The amount that they were given was based upon their abilities, so we can assume that they had been assessed. And lastly, the master was fair in that he knew he couldn't give to one person more than his abilities would allow him to manage. Spurgeon said this in light of this passage. He says, He was the judge of the ability of each of his servants, and he made no mistakes in his allotment of the talents to them. We must rest assured, if we are the Lord's servants, that he was bestowed upon us as many talents as we can rightly use, and quite as many as we shall be able to give an account for when he returns. That's encouraging to me. God has looked at Lance Menon and said, I'm going to give Lance Menon the gifts and the abilities and the resources that Lance Menon can handle. Not any more, not any less. And he's done the exact same thing with you. He's given you exactly what you can accurately handle for the kingdom of God and be responsible for. Not too much, not too little. He's given you exactly what you can handle. That's an encouraging thing. Verse number 16. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gave and gained five more talents. Notice the quick response of the servant. It says immediately. It could have used multiple different words here. But it, the author, Matthew, chose to use immediately. Immediately. This servant got the five talents and no more than the, the master had left the door. And he's off to the bank. He's like, I want to invest these for, the, for my master. I want to see my master's kingdom flourish and grow. I'm going to put this away. And he's going to come back one day and I want to give a faithful account for what he's given to me. Immediately, he takes off and he does this. Verse number 17. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. The second servant does the exact same thing. You get the idea here, I'm reading into this a bit, but you get the idea that these two servants were joyfully serving their master. They immediately went out and did what they should do. They loved their master. They wanted to see his kingdom prosper. They wanted to see it spread. Keener, in reference to Derrick in his commentary, said this, Most people lacked capital in those days, but those who had it could multiply their investment fivefold or even tenfold. Doubling one investment might be regarded as a reasonable minimum return in the ancient economy. It's a fairly simple thing to do. Notice these two servants. They were quick to respond. They were wise with their responsibilities. And it almost seems as if they were joyful to serve their master. Verse number 18. Strong contrasting conjunction. But. The first two servants, they get their money and immediately they go out. Matthew's very clear and in referring to the second verse, he, the second servant, he says, and in the same manner, he wants us to see that immediately they're just going out and they're doing it. They're serving their king. They're serving their Lord. But, verse 18, he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Burying the money kept the capital safe, but the money would have been no less safe with the bankers. 
it doesn't seem as though this servant really cared about what was going to happen to his master's resources. He simply got them, went out, dug a hole, and buried them in it. MacArthur said this, The ancient Roman Empire had a banking system that was in many respects like those of modern times. The slave with the one talent could have reaped at least a 6% return by making virtually no effort at all. The fact that he did not attempt to even to earn a simple interest on the money confirmed that his, his total irresponsibility and his indifference to the master. He just didn't care. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, we don't know how long it was. It just says a long time. The master of those slaves came and he settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. Can you picture the guy? Can you picture the servant? He hears word, you know, hey, the master's coming home. It's like, the master's coming home? I remember, he gave me five talents. I went and invested them. I, I've been keeping track of it. They're doing really well. I invested them wisely. I better go get them. So when the master comes home, I'll have them. And he runs off to the bank and wherever he had invested them and he gains all of it, and he's like, whoa, I doubled it. He's going to be pleased. And he comes back, and the master comes in the door, and he calls his servants to him, and he calls the man of the five talents to him, and he says, how have you done? And he says, see, that's the words, see, I have gained five more. He's overjoyed. Look, master, look what I did for you. I wanted to see your kingdom furthered. I want to see your kingdom prosper. Look what I did for you. You gave me five talents. I've given you five more. Ten talents. And his master said to him in verse 21, Well done. In Greek, this is an interjection. This is like you're watching your kids play sports and they do something. You go, Whoa! Or you're watching your favorite football team on TV and there's an interception. You're like, yes! It's an interjection. Some, some commentators have translated this as, bravo! The master sees it and he just exclaims, bravo! Way to go! Well done! Good and faithful slave. Look how he describes his servant. He uses two words, good and faithful. An expression that approves both his character, his character was good, and his diligence. He had been faithful with all that the master had expected of him. Well done. Your character was good, and you were faithful. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Morris said this, This clearly means that the servant had received the warm approval of his master and that his future is one which joy will be the prominent, with which joy will be prominent. 
The servants' rewards were commensurate with their faithfulness in pursuing their master's interests. They were good and they were faithful. Verse 22. And the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. It's almost the exact same language, isn't it? The one who gained the five, the one who gained the two, they were both excited. The master comes, and just like the one who gained five, he's like, see, you gave me two? I've gotten two back for you. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see you. Look what I've done for you. And his master responds the exact same well, same way. Well done, good and faithful servant. Bravo. I'm so happy with you. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Who gained the master more money? The servant with the five talents or the servant with the two talents? Servant with the five talents did, right? He doubled his money. That was of no significance to the master. They both received the exact same reward. Enter into the joy of your master. The slave owner wasn't concerned with their production as much as he was with their faithfulness. This is a strange thing that the master grants them. Enter into the joy of your master. Spurgeon said this. He said, this is not the servant's portion, but the master's portion shared with his faithful servants. This will be the consummation of all heavenly delights. Not so much that we shall have a joy of our own as that we shall enter into the joy of the Lord. Think about it. One day we will all die. This summer we went to a a water park with my parents. My dad is 71. And we went down one of those great big water slides. It's like straight down, you know, you cross your legs and cross your arms. And he's 71 and going down this. In fact, later on, he was like, I like that one the best. Let's do that one again. We're at the top and the lady who's up there helping us go down, you know, I said, what's the oldest person you've had go down one of these slides? And she said, actually, we have a competition every year and to find out who the oldest person is. We have an, an elderly people day and the oldest person to go down this slide, they win a lifetime pass to this water park. <laughs> uh, oh. They may only use it for a couple years, but hey, you know. (laughs) So 78 was the winner, in case you were wondering. So here's my dad, 71 years old, going down this water slide. And I told the lady as we were talking, I said, before I went down the slide, I said, well, you know, 10 out of 10 people die. We're all going to split eternity wide open. Think about it. We who are believers in Christ will enjoy heaven forever. Nothing that is there is because of anything that we have done. Nothing. We enter into the joy of our master. It's all his. In reality, even here, it's all his. All of it. 
But for those who love him, serve him, one day we'll enter into the joy of our master. It's going to be a good day. Verse 24. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. What a contrast. The two previous servants are, Master, see? Third servant is, Master, I, I knew you to be a, a hard master. Excuses right out of the bat. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. The contrast is shocking, is it not? It jumps off the page at you. That although the third servant was also belonging to the king or belonging to the master, although they had the same, all three servants had the same correlation, the third servant was completely different. And he begins to make excuses. He says, you know, I knew you to be a hard man. In fact, you reap where you haven't planted and you, and you reap where you haven't sown. And not saying that the master was a bad person. He was just saying that he was a very wise man. In Illinois, we can kind of understand this. You know, a farmer sees a thousand acres he wants to buy and it wouldn't happen like this today, but it could have happened back then. It wouldn't have been a thousand acres either. It probably would have been a small plot. <laughs> it would have been hard to farm a thousand acres back in those days, but... So you see a thousand acres and you want to buy the property and rather than making an offer because you've, you've tested the market and you know that nobody's really going to make an offer on this property. So rather than making an offer on it at the beginning of the year, you know, when the frost is just melting, you wait until it's been plowed and tilled and everything's been done. It's even been planted and the crops are starting to come up and then you make an offer. So not only are you reaping the land, you're gaining the land, but you're also gaining all the crops that have already been planted and you haven't done a thing to plant them. He was a wise master. The servant knew this and he says, I was afraid and I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. I wonder about this servant. I mean, what did it look like? You know, here's just like the other two servants, the master's coming. The other two servants, they're running to the bank. And he's running out to the back 40 with a shovel. And he's digging it up. And maybe he put it in some bags of some kind. I don't know. Maybe a chest. And the other servants, they've got this huge pile of money. And they're saying, see? Look what, look what I did for you. And this servant's like brushing the dust and the dirt off the bag. Saying, well, you gave me a talent. Here it is. Verse 26. And his master said to him, You wicked, lazy 
slave. What a contrast. Instead of good and faithful, he said wicked and lazy. The character judgment was not good, but wicked. And lazy rather than faithful. His master answered and said, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and I gather where I have scattered no seed. You knew this. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And you ought. This is like really strong language in Greek. It's carrying this idea of necessity. Like this was a no-brainer. You should have done this. This is like my parents returning home from their trip and going, Lance, all you had to do is get out the hose and water the flowers. How, to, how difficult is that? It would have taken you 15 minutes every day, Lance. You ought to have done this. You ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. The master is thinking of the easiest possible way of getting a profit. At the very least, this is something that the man was under an obligation to do, was he not? So he says that the servant should have put his money with the bankers, a, a procedure that he could have undertaken with safety and no great personal exertion. In fact, it probably would have been easier to bring the money to the bank than to dig the hole and put the money in it. Evidently, he didn't care enough for his master to do that. He wasn't concerned enough with propelling his master's kingdom forward that he was even interested in doing that. Steady hit it. Verse 28. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to one who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does shall be taken away. His very actions are forfeiting what he has. Verse 30. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing Take this slave, strip him of what he's been given, and cast him out where? Into this place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that sound familiar? What is that a reference to? Hell! Hell! In Matthew 13, verses 41 through 42, says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's hell. There's no way around it. He says, you wicked servant. I gave you a talent. And you didn't love me enough or care for me enough to even go invest it in the bank. Instead you dug a hole and you buried it just to give me back what I'd already given you. 
You know, the first time I read this parable, I thought, how could this be? How could this servant be cast into hell? I mean, the Bible clearly says that all three of these servants belong to the master. I mean, if we're put into modern-day New Testament terminology, would we not say all three of these were believers? Serving the king to some degree? There's definitely a distinction, isn't there? Two of them clearly were. And the other one had some semblance of serving the king. Yet he wasn't. Yet he wasn't. It's a scary picture. I'd like you to evaluate yourself this morning. Evaluate what God has given you. Evaluate your finances. Some of you have a lot more than others. Some of you have a lot less than others. That's okay. God has evaluated you and he has given you exactly what you can handle. He must not have thought that I could handle much. <laughs> That's okay. That's good. Evaluate your finances, your natural abilities, your spiritual gifts, the children that God has given you, your husband, your wife. Evaluate your free time, etc. The list goes on and on and on. How are you using these things for the Master's kingdom? If you find yourself lacking, make a plan. How should or could you be using your gifts for the kingdom of God? Figure out how you need to be using what God has given you to further his kingdom. Because he is coming back. And you want to be one of the servants that when the master sees what you've done, it's just an interjection. It just comes out of him. Well done. Good and faithful servant. What are you doing with your life? My children are very involved in sports, and so I keep telling them, and they, they go to a very small school. They go to Oregon High School. I mean, there's 400 kids in the entire high school. So I always tell them, you're a very big fish in a very small pond. <laughs> the amount of talent that's in this school is not as big as if you went to a bigger school. And you only have the gifts and the abilities that you have because God gave them to you. That's it. You can only run fast because God gave you speed. You can only lift a lot of weights because God made you strong. Granted, you work hard. But if God wouldn't have even given you the ability to work hard, you wouldn't be strong. Everything that you have is a gift from God. Everything. The car that you drive. The clothes that you put on. I remember one day walking down the streets as a missionary in Toulouse, France. We were missionaries there for eight and a half years. I was walking down the streets and I was thinking about the parable, or not the parable, uh, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you know, don't cons look at the lilies. They neither toil nor they, they faint. Look at them, all their beauty, and yet Solomon's not clothed in, clothed in all this kind of beauty. And I, I looked at my clothes and I said, 
wow, somebody gave me these pants. Somebody gave me this shirt. I was wearing a really nice leather jacket. And I was like, somebody gave me my leather jacket? I think the only thing I'd purchased was my undergarments. <laughs> and I was like, and I look really good. It's all a gift from the Lord. Whether somebody gives it to you or he gives you a well-paying job that you can provide well for your family. It's all from him. How are you using it to glorify him and further his kingdom? If you're a quasi-Christian this morning, did you see yourself as a servant who is associated with Christ but doesn't really belong to him? Maybe on paper you belong to him, but in your heart, not so much so. This can be evidenced by your works. Our works don't save us. Far from it. We're saved purely by God's grace. We could do nothing to earn God's pardon. We are far too gone. However, if God truly has saved you, you should be becoming a new creation in Christ. You should see changes in your life. You know, you're not always going to want to do right all the time. Well, how I mourn over the condition of my heart sometimes. Lord, why don't I want to serve you more? Forgive me. Change my heart. I'm not always going to want to do what's right. But you should see a constant changing in your life. I brought a 47, I think he is, 47-year-old man to the Boundary Waters with me this year to help with a group of high school students. He's been saved for two, maybe three years. He got saved while I was in jail. Before he became a believer, he called me up and he was drunk. I could tell it. And he said, Pastor Lance, I want to talk to you tonight. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> He's drunk. What am I getting myself into, you know? In fact, I called up a guy in our church who had been an alcoholic for years. I said, Tom, what should I do? He said, go, but call me when you get home so I know everything's okay. <laughs> so I went over to his house and sure enough, there's a fifth of whiskey or vodka or something, something strong on his, on his table. He said, my sister died when she was in high school. My mom was driving the car. They hit a slippery road and they ran into the bridge of an overpass. My sister died. So my mom freaked out and she basically went nuts for two or three years. So I was about 12 years old. I basically had to raise myself because my dad had MS. And he couldn't even take care of his own bodily functions. We had to take care of that for him. He said, you think I'm going to pray to a God who gives me that to eat for my life? I don't deserve this. And I said to Jim, Jim, actually you deserve worse. You deserve the pits of hell. And so do I. But God gives us grace. And Jim ended up going through court for drunk driving and a whole list of other things. And our church stood by him. And just before he got his jail sentence, he had like six months he had to do. He became a believer. He read through his entire Bible. Entire Bible. Study Bible. Small print. Big study Bible. Lots of notes. Every word in a year and a half. Every word. I went over to Jim's house because I had heard that there was a female staying there. It's part of Jim's past. And I walked in the door and his house had never been that neat. 
thought there must be female living here. <laughs> and I was about to confront him on it. He's my friend. It was going to be a hard thing to do, but I knew I had to do it. And before the words came out of my mouth, he said, you know, Lance, he goes, I had a girl living here for a while. He goes, but man, do you, go, do you know how many times the Bible says that, sacred is, that marriage is sacred unto the Lord? He goes, I couldn't do this anymore. I had to ask her to leave. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Jim doesn't have much, and his life has still got a lot of problems and a lot of issues, but you know what? He wants to serve King Jesus. And on the Boundary Waters one night, he gave his testimony, and I stood in the back. My eyes were watering up. So I thought, this is not the same Jim that I met four years ago. And during the week, I'd canoe around with each of the boys that went on the trip, and they would say, I can't believe that Jim is the same guy. I'd say, yeah, that's what Jesus does to your life. He changes you. And you have a love for the Lord. Is that you this morning? Do you have a love for your master? You have such a love that propels you. That everything he's given to you, you say, I want to invest it for him. I want to live for him. I want his kingdom to be spread. Is that you? I hope so. I hope so. You know, if you're going through a flat spot in your life right now, repent. We've got a great God. Repent. So, Lord, I'm not using my resources for you. I'm not living for you. Help me. And then make a plan. As you came in this morning, if, or if there were some sheets out on there. One was a bulletin and one was a sermon note thing that I had printed up. I don't know if I brought it up here with me or not. Yeah, I did. Looks like this. On the very top it says, what are the gifts, talents, resources, etc. that the Lord has given me? Did you go home today? Take 15 minutes. It literally would probably take you five. Five minutes. And write down, what has God entrusted you with? What has He given you? The next one says, how am I using these things for his kingdom? And go through each one of the items that God has given you and ask yourself, how am I using this for God's kingdom? You know what? We all want to hear our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray.